Good morning. Uh, welcome as we come to worship this morning. Uh, welcome if this is your first time with us, uh, whether that's here in person or indeed um, online. We bid you uh, a warm welcome this morning uh, to our service uh, of Holy Communion. Um, but we begin with uh, our sins, familiar sins of Scripture for this service. This is how God has showed his love amongst us, that he sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Let us pray as we begin. Father God, we thank you that you are present with us. Your faithfulness and your truth are unfaltering and unfailing. Inspire us today by your Spirit as we open your word, as we lay our burdens before you, and as we remember your life, your death, and your resurrection. May your presence be a source of hope and of strength into the situations that we find ourselves. In your name, amen. Today's reading is taken from Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through to 22. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other. So, because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. But you do not realise that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, so that you can become rich, and white clothes to your wear, so you can cover your shameful nakedness, and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with them and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just to do as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Here ends the reading. Thank you, Rebecca. So this is the last um, in our series of the seven letters um, to the seven churches. Uh, we see today it's a letter to the church in Laodicea. Um, so far we've seen that um, this is a message for us. It's a message written to these seven churches uh, in this day, but it's also a message that carries into our day with Revelation being that uh, sense of a apocalyptic, a, a prophetic book that speaks um, into the future. We saw that many of these churches um, have received commendation and condemnation, um, all except for one uh, of them. Um, Ephesus had forgotten their first love. Um, Smyrna, the one that only got commendation, uh, had lots of suffering around it and was receiving a crown as they ran for the race at the end. Pergamum, uh, was, their identity was secure. The word of God was true and that they were to stand um, on that foundation. Thyatara, the message was that he is mine and I am his. That sense of holiness, that strive to become more like Jesus. Sardis was that joy-filled place, uh, a place that uh, we sought to have life and life in all of its fullness um, and to look forward for that. 
Uh, Philadelphia last week was the open and effective door that lies before us, the door of service. And the door the Lord opens, no one else can shut because he is in control. He is sovereign. And so in this final letter um, to the seven churches, this is the church of Laodicea. Um, and they receive the sternest rebuke and severe condemnation. It's almost as if they were reserved uh, for the last. But before we look at that, let's just pray as we open this part of God's Word. Father God, we thank you that you are present with us. And that in this moment, your Spirit, we pray, would speak deep into our souls and beings. And your Word would come alive for us. Your Word and not mine, we pray in your name. Amen. Um, so this uh, church in Laodicea, um, whilst others had received the varying degrees, um, really theirs is severe rebuke and condemnation. Their word was lukewarm. Um, they were lukewarm, um, neither hot nor cold. Now the Greek words for hot um, was like a boiling hot, that, that moment where the kettle has just boiled and the, the steam has filled your kitchen and you dare not uh, pour it over your skin. It's so hot um, and cold. The Greek word there was this icy coldness, uh, the two extremes, if you like. Uh, and so they were saying, what Jesus was saying to this church is, you're neither on fire for me, nor are you so far from me that you're icy cold. You're in between, you're lukewarm. And actually, that's even worse place to be. And as we've seen in each of these letters, Jesus describes himself as something as he opens it. And in verse 14, we hear these words. These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. Jesus is, describes himself as the faithful and true, the one who we can trust. And so whenever he gives these words of severe rebuke and condemnation, we, we can trust what he's saying. He's saying those things for their good, for our good, if you like. Um, it's those moments, as, if you like, as a parent, whenever you have severe um, rebuke for your child of discipline, uh, you do it for, whenever I was growing up, <laughs> we face I used to hear sometimes was, this hurts me more than it hurts you. And I used to think, there's no way that can hurt you more than it hurts me, because that brown belt is exceptionally sore. Um, it was a brown belt doubled over, so not only did it hit you once, but the second bit came down and it gave you a wee twang. Um, at the end. Um, not that I ever got that much, obviously. Um, but, but that sense of the Lord is doing this, he's rebuking them severely, sternly, because he wants to shock them out of their place of complacency, as we will see. Uh, and again, he sets this scene. Uh, he says, I know your deeds, that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. And that's actually quite key. You know, Often we don't hear that spoken in church. We often hear that we should be on fire for God. We don't often hear Jesus saying, I wish you were either on fire for me or not with me. But to be in between, to be lukewarm, that's something you really need to watch for. He, he also described himself not just as the amen, the faithful and true, but the beginner of time, the, the creator. And so he says this as the one who knows best for this church and for us. He made us, he created us. And so therefore he knows what he is doing as he rebukes 
as he chastises us, and as he calls us into line with him. And the question underlying this is, how can we ignore the one, the very being who gave us life itself? We can't. So the church in Laodicea had lost its seal. Ephesus had lost its first love. But the church in Laodicea had lost its seal. That's more than simply losing your first love. They have lost that sense of passion. They've lost a seal. They've lost a purpose. They've become half-hearted. A lukewarm waterfall. If you stood before and below a lukewarm waterfall, it wouldn't really refresh you. You'd kind of be like, well, I've never tried this uh, open sea, um, cold water swimming escapade. Is there anybody in here does that? Wow, one. Oh. Only in the summertime, okay. <laughs> I know people like, you know, Carnlock Harbour on Boxing Day. Like, there's people jumping into it. Like, you go to Port Stewart or Strand, and there's people running into it at all kinds of weathers. It's partly as exceptionally refreshing after a couple of minutes. Um, but it's those first couple of minutes that I would really worry about. Um, but if the sea is tepid, if it's lukewarm, if it's neither hot nor cold, that's a different kind of thing. It doesn't refresh you in the same way. The message is simple. Jesus' message is simple. These are not my words. Verse 15 says this. He says, I know your deeds to the church. You are neither hot nor cold, and I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. That's not ambiguous. There's nothing unclear about that. There's no gray area in that. You can see the outcome of what is happening to this church. I wonder if you ever entered a shop or a business um, and the shop assistant uh, is so passionate about the sale that they don't really leave you alone. Everywhere you go, everything you pick up, can I help you with that? Would you like to know more about that? Or maybe you've entered a business or a shop and um, you found that space um, where actually, he's... all right, how you doing? And you think they've got a lot of job satisfaction, uh, don't they? They're half-hearted. And in one sense, it would be better to be indifferent and just leave you alone to shop rather than be half-hearted in what it is that they're doing. Because actually it probably puts you off from going back to that business or that shop if all you do is kind of get grunted at and kind of it feels as if you're in their way and it's a chore for them to do what it is that they need to do for you. In one sense, it would be better for them to be completely indifferent and allow you just to go about your business, pick up the things that you need, and then pay for them and leave. Or else be really passionate up front and inform you of all the things that you can get in their shop. Um, You know, that would be amazing. Not all the time, but some of the time. Um, But you see, to do neither, to kind of be in between. See, Selwyn Hughes... um, who authored lots of daily devotionals called Every Day with Jesus. And very many of you have used those in the past or continue to use them, but it was someone who initially wrote those uh, devotionals. He, he said this about this passage. Better icy indifference or even captive opposition than to insult him, that is Jesus, by saying we believe in his cause, 
while living out lives that by their indifference nauseate his very being. In other words, it's better to actually stand back and say, I don't believe in Jesus, than to say, I believe in Jesus, but by my words and actions, I am so indifferent that you can't really tell that that is the case. Jesus' words, neither hot nor cold, you look warm, I'm going to spit you out. Now, someone may be offended at the strong language that Jesus uses here. If so, I counsel you to search why that is the case. To ask yourself, why does that seem offensive? Because often the root cause of lukewarmness is complacency. Complacency is a dangerous place. That kind of, I'll be all right. It's the way we've always done it. It's, 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 it's all right. It's okay. It doesn't really matter. It has no real effect. Because that's whenever we start to drift. And you hear me explain that often, don't you? That sense of drifting. Whenever we start, whenever a boat starts to drift, I think the, the analogy I used a couple of weeks ago was nobody buys uh, one of those inflatable rings, takes it to Port Stewart Strand and thinks, today I'm going to drift out to sea and get the RLNLI to come and rescue me. They drift without realizing until they are too far and they need rescue. And complacency sets us in the place and the course of just simply drifting away from the shore of God's love and God's grace. Now, if somebody is complacent in what it is that they're doing, if somebody's complacent in the workplace, if somebody's complacent in their schoolwork, it's often a shock tactic that's used to get them out of that. Your behaviour at school uh, has been rubbish over the last number of weeks and months. Next time, you're expelled. Often that will shock the pupil to say, oh, that can't happen, that's not good. The same in the workplace. If complacency and lukewarmness in how you do your job until it comes to the point of saying, look, here is your warning. Next time, you're fired. See, Jesus also says that this church seems to have had it all. It says in verse 17, you say, I am rich. The church says, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy for me gold refined in the fire so you become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put in your eyes so that you can see. In one sense, the church thought they had it all, but they didn't. They had it all in terms of humanly speaking, but they didn't have it spiritually. Their focus was in the wrong place, and complacency was allowing them to drift. In one sense, we need to have enthusiasm in our faith, otherwise it becomes dry and mechanical. I remember um, whenever I was training for uh, theological college, uh, theological college for ministry, um, I remember being taken to the side at one stage uh, and being told, um, I paraphrase um, this, uh, being told um, that unless I became more serious, less joyful, less enthusiastic, then nobody in any parish in the whole of Ireland would ever be able to relate to me. You're all thinking the same thing. Um, 
less, more serious, less joyful, and less enthusiastic. No one will be able to relate to you. My response, Jesus, what? That sense of joy that contains within us, that sense of being sold out for God becomes an infectious thing in our lives. It becomes the light that shines in the darkness around us. Paul charges us in Romans chapter 12 to keep our spiritual fervor. He charges Timothy in 1 Timothy first uh, chapter 1 to fan into flames the gift that God has given you. Jesus calls us to be zealous and repent. Not my words there in verse 19. Those whom I rebuke, I discipline. To be, so be earnest, zealous, and repent. In one sense, all of this idea of uh, lukewarmness, of hot and cold, um, in one sense you could use the analogy of a river. Whenever a river starts, river band starts in the Mourne Mountains. It does, doesn't it? It does, actually. I was thinking, yeah, yeah, I wrong. Um, yeah, the Mourne Mountains start, the, the river band starts in the Mourne Mountains. But it just starts on the wrong side of the peak of the mountain. Otherwise, it would be a very short river and it would flow straight into the sea. Rather, it starts on the other side of the peak. And it begins its journey as a little bubbling brook, bubbling up out of the ground, a small little shock, I suppose, as it begins. And as it travels down through the Mourne Mountains, it, you can see it's rippling and it's shaping and it's noise and all of those things that we associate with a river. But by the time you get to Corian, The river is huge, but it's more like a sea of glass. And in one sense, we often start out on our journeys with God, with noise, with fervor, with uh, lots of energy, like that little river in the Mourn Mountains. And the longer we journey, the more complacent sometimes we become, the quieter, the stiller we become about our faith and about our witness. But the thing about the river ban in, in cold rain as it flows out um, to the sea uh, at, the, at Port Stewart there in Castle Rock is this, that in below that skim of complacency on the top, there is a powerful, powerful force that can be awakened at any moment with the wind that comes off the sea. It can be wakened at any moment with a disruption and, and disturbance on the top of it. And sometimes we need that in our lives as we've journeyed with Jesus for a period of time. We need that little bit of disruption, that little shock to lift us out of our complacency and say, actually, I've journeyed with Jesus so long that I'm no longer this tiny little, I no longer have this tiny little piece of faith that may have been noisy, uh, out of control, that may have looked as if it was beyond its capabilities or its bounds or was overstepping its mark. But actually, because I've journeyed so long, because I've listened to him, I've prayed with him, I've walked with him, and he has invested into my life and the hope and the light that I carry, I can be a powerful force for him. 
I wonder where do you find yourself today? Preachers included as he asks that question. See, these seven letters, Jesus is offering us advice on how to live out our faith. How to be spiritually well. We won't ignore the advice of a doctor whenever it comes to our physical state. We believe there's something wrong with us and we visit a GP. Depends what surgery you're in, whether you can get an appointment. Um, well, and you visit a GP and they give you advice as to what's to do. You visit a consultant and the consultant, an expert in their field, gives you advice on what it is you're going to do. You're highly unlikely to think, nah, I'll just ignore that. I've got my own way of doing things. But why so often do we ignore the advice of the Lord whenever he speaks to us about our spiritual health? What's our cure for our spiritual dryness? Well, the Bible never leaves us hanging. Verse 18. I, can, I counsel you. Jesus says, I counsel you to buy from me the gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve for your eyes so that you, do, so that you can see. He says, come to me. Receive a fresh and anew to me. Allow the surface of the complacency to be shaken so that the powerful river that you are for him can begin to be awakened. So today he stands at the door and he knocks. That's what he says in verse 20. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. The image on the screen is of um, William Holman Hunt's uh, famous uh, picture of Jesus standing at the door with the light in his hand, knocking at the door. You can't really see it clearly in that uh, picture, but there's no door handle on that side. Now, last week, and this is the irony of these two letters coming together. Last week, we said that there's a door before you that whenever the Lord opens it, no one can shut it. And today, Jesus stands at a door that only you can open. The door of your life and of your heart. And he stands knocking. Jesus' words, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. There is a banquet waiting for us. That's the beauty of the good news of the gospel. That is the beauty of the story that Jesus is writing in each of our lives. That is the beauty of being awakened from our complacency and our slumber and being a mighty force for him. The reward is sitting at the throne with Jesus. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame and sat down with my father. So he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. I wonder, what have you been hearing over the last number of weeks? What has the Lord been speaking to you about challenging you within and calling you forward for? Don't hold back. Don't slip back. Don't drift. Allow him to do his work and allow his light to shine in the darkness around us. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you are present and that your light shines before us. Help us in all that we do to know and to love, to show and to share. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Um, we just uh, conclude with our blessing. The peace of God which passes all understanding.
Keep your hearts and minds and the knowledge and love of God and of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And may the blessing of God the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit be with you and remain with you always. Amen.